So welcome to this evening together and uh, I'm going to speak about what I have learned from community and you know and uh, speak about some of the basics you know of the community experience but also about my personal journey and uh, you know what I think what is the most important uh, quality of community is that it can really help us to metabolize our experience you know it's a kind of support system we can lean into uh, in order to be able to digest what we bring with us from the past and tend to project onto the present moment experience. So the community offers us a framework, you know, from which, you know, from the basis of standing on that framework, we can start to turn towards our experience in a much uh, more supported way than if we do it on our own and you know generally monastic settings over the centuries that's the reason you know why monasteries have been um, appearing in, in human society because they give us a certain framework within which you know we can actually you know dissolve ourselves quote-unquote or at least to dissolve some of the patterns and then sometimes you know there can be times when it's quite difficult uh, to operate when we lose orientation and then you know being part of a community is extremely helpful to be carried along and then in times you know when we are well you know we can carry others so it's 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 a give and take and um Ashrams also operate in it that way, or retreats, you know, when we go to a retreat center, it's just a, maybe a 10 days or 5 days, but nevertheless, you know, we are carried by the retreat framework, by the schedule, the cooking is done for us, we don't need to make any decisions much, or even not speaking, and also there's a lot of support so that we can turn inside and and see you know how we are operating and even you know on a solo retreat we are still supported by many others we need to eat and then it should be heating and all of the housing and so on so that it is impossible without support to really practice and another example would be a therapy session it's also you know through the support of another we are able to open and go deep inside so that support you know to lean in and to engage with a certain part of ourselves which might be scary to do it alone and you know because these are very ancient questions you know the world and life has always been yeah, dukkha anicca anatta that has always been there and you know the and our world has always been on fire with greed, hatred and delusion. So that's why these kind of uh, support systems, they are very ancient and uh, it's nothing new. And, you know, in particular, you know, we need to start with our own bodies because our own bodies are like animal bodies. 
and they have animal-like responses, you know, when they are under threat or when they're perceived to be under threat. Often, you know, old patterns of uh, conditioning, you know, we can perceive that we are under threat in the present moment when actually it's just past experience, you know, which is locked into the body and into the mind, which gets activated. And then there's these uh, different ways of responding. One is <coughs> fight, the other one is flight, and the third one is uh, freezing or fainting. And then there's a fourth one, which is caring, you know, to really care for ourselves and for our own responses. And through that caring, you know, we are then also able to care for others. And in order to do that, you know, to help others, we need to first metabolize these uh, experiences for ourselves, which means, you know, to really embrace and honor and give a lot of kindness to this animal part of ourselves. Because if we can, you know, turn towards it, it brings us to a place of change and transformation. And without the support of others, this is almost impossible. You know, as I said, even if we are on a solo retreat, let's say in a forest somewhere, still need to eat. So there's still, there needs to be some kind of a support system. And... Uh, What also can be very helpful, you know, if we want to do this work, to remember, you know, who was the first person in our lives who has embodied that for us, you know, that, that courageous turning towards and that, you know, big mind or great equanimity which somebody can embody in their being, which has given us for the first time this idea, you know, this is, there's a path, you know, we can do this. And, you know, thinking of those ancestors on, on their shoulders we are standing now and from which we can learn to engage, you know, with our own inner experience. And in my case, that was Ajahn Buddha Dasa. This was a Thai Chinese forest master from the south of Thailand he passed away in 1993 and I met him for the first time in 1988 and stayed all together one and a half years in his monastery, a forest monastery called Watsuan Mok, about four hours north of the Malaysian border in Thailand. And they are having 10-day um, meditation retreats every 1st to the 10th of every month in English and these uh, programs are running since the mid-80s and uh, I have been there many, many years ago and that was for me really opening the path and the presence, his presence was such a huge, um, it was really like a transmission of possibility. You know, I never forget when I saw him and also how the whole monastery was set up. It was a very unusual place very artistic and he had a, an art gallery which was used for teaching also that was called the spiritual theater and so uh, such a you know magical uh, setting 
it it really deeply touched me and gave me this sense of yes, you know, that's something I can also do. And so that was for me this a, a deep experience of kinship with with somebody I'd never seen before who was from a different culture who was like in his 80s already at that time but still there was this very deep sense of kinship and because of that you know there was the courage it, it just like um, woke up a courage in myself I didn't even know that I had so that's you know that's a very good example of what community can do for us it, it can uh, help us to find qualities in ourselves which we didn't even know that we had them so that's a kind of impetus which can which can just like open up you know the next chapter of our lives and in my case it was like that with Arjun Buddha Dasa and uh, you know that sense of kinship gives us the consistency to to move forward even you know it sometimes might be very very difficult and you know to find like a setting where we can express our deepest truth and can live from that truth and uh, for example you know, this zoom meeting here is such a space as well you know this is an action which moves us towards a greater kinship, you know, where we meet with people who are on the similar wavelength than we are and interested, you know, in the same teachings and, you know, willing to put aside some time for it. And then, you know, my teacher, Ajahn Buddha Das, at that time, he was, as I already said, in his mid-80s, so he was old and he got ill and it was clear, you know, he wouldn't live much longer. So then... I knew, you know, if I want to continue to walk on this path, I would like to be in a community of people, you know, who, who are closer to my own cultural uh, background. And I felt like in Thailand staying there, I would always be somehow on the edge of the community because I'm I'm a Westerner and, you know, don't speak the, speak the language only a little bit. So it was important to... To come into a space, you know, where I would be actually more challenged and more met also like on a cultural uh, conditioning level. So I was like thinking, where could I go? And then through a so-called coincidence, which probably wasn't one, you know, I found a chanting book of Amaravati Buddhist Monastery in a meditation hall there in Suanmok in that monastery. And I looked at the book and I said, okay, I just go there. And then I went there and arrived there in uh, 1992 at Amaravati Buddhist Monastery, which you all have heard about, I suppose, because you're mostly in the UK. And uh, so that was a international community and had its own uh, order for women, the Siladara Order, which was a very progressive step at that time time you know when bhikkhuni ordination was still thought to not be possible in the Theravada tradition and you know there was a huge library with information from all kinds of philosophy and religions all around the world which was amazing to have that access and there was also a real openness towards psychological work 
there was a lot of support there. And the main teacher, Achen Sumedo, was a non-Asian teacher who basically translated the teaching. You know, he has been training in Thailand for a long time, translated that whole program, you could say, the teaching and the, the community practice, which he learned from Achen Cha. So everything was translated for Westerners. And it was a very generous place, you know, where there were a lot of support. It was a great, uh, huge step, you know, into that direction again. And having so many role models because there were senior nuns there. So that was a very big opening. And I got training there and uh, a lot of healing also, you know. Through the big community, I could really lean into, I could develop the courage to look at things in myself, it wouldn't have been possible to do that on my own. So, so that was a great, um, you know, um, upgrade, you know, from coming out of, of that monastery in Thailand where I was a little bit more isolated actually because I, I was a Westerner amongst lots of Thais. And it was an interesting way to live like this because I've been trained as a cultural anthropologist, but it needed a bit more um, holding and a little bit more connection, you know, real hard connection with people from my own culture. And that's what happened in Amaravati. And uh, so that was 1992. So there was another level, you know, of community experience, which went more into the depths. And then, uh, about 10 years later, I met my first uh, Vajrayana teacher, uh, Tibetan Buddhism, and my teacher is uh, from Nepal, a Tibetan Rinpoche, and through a teaching which I attended in Austria, of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, this uh, Rinpoche was there. And uh, so we, we kind of, uh, there was also like this sense of, uh, you know, a certain recognition of kinship. And that again, you know, was again a, a new level of depth and of opening. And there were like certain elements, you know, which at that time I really didn't uh, couldn't find that in the Theravada tradition, like a certain openness, you know, to the arts and a certain dynamism and uh, sense of uh, working, you know, with uh, the mystery, which I couldn't really find at the Theravada at that point. So that symbolism and art was very nourishing for me because I had also been uh, working as an artist before I became a nun and sometimes you know Theravada tradition was a little bit too dry for me in that regard so that again was like a big opening and uh, there was like a deepening and an opening and a sense of uh, letting go into the flow more and uh, at that time, you know, I also became aware 
that the situation, the training situation for the women in Amaravati and Chittas was limited on a certain level because they didn't want to offer bhikkhuni ordination for the nuns and it was expected, you know, that the nuns would perpetually stay in a novice kind of a position in relationship to the monks and that really after about 10 years or so that started to become problematic and I felt like I don't want to support that any longer. And so, and through, you know, through the invitation of the Sanaloka Foundation, Ayananda Bodhi, my colleague Nan from Amravati, and myself, we got invited to come here and, uh, you know, try to start a vihara for nuns. And that's what we did. And then, uh, you know, when we arrived here, again, we met, we met people who were here. Bikuni Sangha was already established uh, rudimentarily here in California. And Aya Tataloka, for example, she is the, one of the senior Bikunis here in California. So there were already some Bikunis here and a small community. And we saw, you know, how they were really using, you know, the bhikkhuni form which was given by the Buddha over 2,600 years ago. And we felt like we wanted to uh, support that. We didn't want to uh, stay in the, this hybrid ordination form which was created in Amaravati and Chittas. So we decided to leave that lineage and take bhikkhuni ordination. And then we, we so to say, we became part of the Bukuni community here in California and the Santa Loca Foundation with its board members and then also some of the teachers here in um, California in America were very supportive. Werner Bikubodi, Jack Cornfield, Werner Manaleo and others who really helped us and supported us. And Jack Cornfield invited us, you know, to use Spirit Rock to use the meditation hall there for our bhikkhuni ordination, for example. So that really gave us an opportunity to bring the whole question of the bhikkhuni ordination more into the mainstream. So we had like, I don't know how many, but like two to three hundred people came, you know, to um, witness our ordination. And we had uh, monks and nuns from all three big schools of Buddhism, Vajrayana, Mahayana, and Theravada. And it was a very wonderful um, ordination ceremony. And Ajahn Pramali, whom you have heard from him, maybe he was there, and Ajahn uh, Analeo was there, when Tupten Chodron was there, and uh, when Blanche Hartmann. So there were lots of teachers were there. And it was felt very... Uh, you know, very special, really. It felt, again, you know, opening up a next chapter. And, you know, without community, any of that would not have been possible. We could have never done that on our own. And, uh, and also what became, you know, apparent to me at that time when we came from the UK to America, I developed more and more awareness of the ecological crisis and uh, because you know also having the freedom to embody more really 
my own approach, how I wanted to live the Bikuni life, I got more and more interested in the whole ecological movement and, you know, went to quite a few of the climate uh, strikes, was at the very first, you know, huge climate strike 2014 in New York, which was like a great experience. There were lots of uh, monastics there as well, uh, when Bhikkhu Bodhi was there also. And, you know, and start to experience a much deeper intimacy with, with the planet itself, you know, as the largest community, really. And, and start to understand, you know, that I as a human being, I am part of this planet and I'm born at a particular time in history where the planet really needs help because things are not going well. And, you know, and also through the meditation, for example, the meditation on the elements, which shows us so clearly you know, that we are not separate from the planet. There's a constant exchange happening through eating, drinking, breathing. And we never really cut the umbilical cord towards the planet. It's always happening. There's a constant exchange happening all the time. And, you know, we are borrowing this body actually only from the planet. It's like a riding animal for consciousness. We borrow for a certain amount of time and when the time comes to give it back, if we had a good practice, then there will be the capacity, you know, to give it back gracefully. So, you know, to really understand in the biggest sense, you know, the biggest community we are benefiting from are all of the beings, you know, which make up this planet. And that we literally stand on the planet, standing on the shoulders of it. And and that for me, you know, made it so clear that um, the concept of dependent origination or Paticca Samubhada or how the Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh calls it interbeing. So, and that really helped me to see these implications much clearer and to feel a real strong sense of, you know, wanting to embody that and wanting to engage in that way as a, as a bhikkhuni. And, uh, you know, seeing that the you know, the, let's say, the Theravada concept of anatta and Mahayana concept of emptiness and the system theory concept of the ecological self, they are all interdependent, they are all the same way, you know, of looking at things. And that this is a context, you know, which can liberate us, really. And we don't need to uh, turn away from what's happening out there in our lives. But if we are seeing it in the right context, then this very work you know, is liberating also. It's not just a distraction from practice. And that became you know, really clear to me at that time when I came over here to America. And... You know, the, the reciprocity of, you know, which is at the heart of life, really, which is very clearly expressed in Buddhism, 
in systems theory and also in, in all indigenous worldviews, you know, where it's very clear we are not separate. And because we are not separate, you know, we have a duty towards the bigger context which in which you know in which we are operating, from which we are benefiting, and if we are benefiting we also need to serve it. So it's the same like a monastic community. You know, when I am not well, I be carried from the by the community, and when I'm well, I help to carry the community, and that's like a constant give and take. And if somebody only takes and doesn't give, they will be kind of expelled, you know, from that system in some way or another. And I think that's really important for us, you know, as human beings now in this. World time of ecological crisis you know if we are not if we're only taking and not giving which is going to be expelled from that system which means uh, we're going to die out really and that's just like uh, you know maybe a radical way of uh, applying the teachings but I feel like it's it's uh, very It, it just fits very well with reality. And uh, so we, you know, we can act on the behalf of the earth community, really. And in this acting on behalf, you know, we can develop wisdom and compassion and understand, you know, they are not separate from, you know, really fully acknowledging the huge community of so many beings we are constantly benefiting from every moment. And, you know, Ajahn Chah, who was the teacher of Ajahn Sumedho and the founder of that lineage, he always, you know, was speaking about the practice is really, really very transportable. And in the suttas also we find, you know, in the Satipatthana Sutta, for example, you know, mindfulness internally and mindfulness externally, right in front of us. Both, you know, both applications of mindfulness are important. In the beginning we start inside, but then, you know, when we have want a little bit ground to stand on, it's also important to look outside. And meet, you know, whatever is happening outside from that that refuge in, in awareness, in, uh, or refuge in Buddha, we can call it that, that as well. And then really, you know, applying the medicine, the medicine of the the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. And, you know, the scriptures are like an anchor for us so we can find our own expression of how we want to live the teachings, you know. And in that way, then we get, you know, we get kind of in a very rather mysterious way, we get pulled, you know, towards certain communities and certain individuals where there's this kind of a kinship there. And in my life, I must say, that has really happened without me um, controlling it at all, you know. 
So that when I look back on that, that gives me a great sense of uh, faith, you know, into the Dhamma itself, that the Dhamma is really leading us onwards if we live, you know, from that place. There's a real, like a call and response, this reciprocity, you know, in the, in the heart of life, which is responding, you know, to us. Into our, especially if we have a real clear intention. And uh, so, when I, you know, spoke about that we are now, you know, reconsidering about our place here because of the fires and so on, not knowing, you know, does it make much sense to to continue with building out this place here because we don't know you know, how the fire situation will develop. So I've made a decision that I want to go back again now to a more urban area north of San Francisco and I would like to develop a, a small urban center which is uh, dedicated to the intersection between uh, the ecological crisis and Buddhist practice. And I want to call it, uh, I'm living at the moment at a local Vihara forest monastery and I'd like to call it a local earth room, and that harkens back, you know, to this uh, art gallery I saw in the monastery of my first teacher, Ajahn Buddhadasa, the spiritual theater. So it's going to be something smaller than that, but it's going to be, you know, based on the same uh, approach of using art also as a way to um, inspire the mind. And also as a way of uh, accessing, you know, different uh, layers of the heart-mind, which, which is not so caught, you know, in, in dualism. Bypassing the dualistic mind and, and going more straight to the heart. And art is a means of communication which can do that, I feel. And... Uh, you know, having a supportive place where we can acknowledge our vulnerability in this very difficult time and from that acknowledging of our own vulnerability where we are, you know, as a species, as a person, as a community, a great strength can come out of that acknowledging, I think. And that, you know, takes me back again to the reason why there are monasteries, yeah, so that people have the support to acknowledge certain things about ourselves, which if we can really open up to that, a great strength can be freed up, you know, which is hidden under the burden of of the, the unease, you know, which hasn't been really clearly accepted, I think. So and in that sense, you know, the path appears in front of us as we are walking it and uh, community is one of the three refuges. And, you know, the Buddha made it into one of the three refuges because it's so fundamentally important for practice. You know, refuge in Buddha, our capacity for awareness, for awakening, or also you know, refuge in the historical Buddha as our teacher. The second one, refuge in Dharma, 
Dhamma as the teaching and also the laws of nature. And then refuge in community, refuge in Sangha. And these three refuges, they are, you know, giving us the framework for, you know, walking in the right direction. It's like a GPS, you know, which helps us when we are confused, when we don't know where we are. But at least, you know, we have, we have like a compass going in the right direction. And... Uh, not necessarily optimistic, but happy, you know, because we are knowing we're doing the best we can do. And I think that's what the, you know, the practice can offer us and that what community can help us, you know, to realize for ourselves. And, you know, bringing us back to that question, what do you want to give your life for? You know, what's your real intention when you're coming to a meeting like that, when you're practicing meditation? To, at the beginning of the session, always coming back to that question that can really help us to inspire the practice. And community can give us that, that support, you know, to... Trust that we can do this. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.